morning. Has God been good to you? Yeah, that was weak. Has God been good to you? Come on, when we can celebrate what God is doing. Today we have the privilege of being here in the hearing of God's word, of gathering together. For those of you that are allowing us to join you at home, we want to say thank you for that privilege. We don't take that lightly. And today our commitment is simply to point you to the word of God. I believe that God has something to say to you. Do you believe that? Well, if you believe that or if you're open to receiving that today, say this with us. Say, I have ears to hear. I have eyes to perceive. And I have a heart to understand and receive. The living word of God. Now, come on now. Give it up for God. Remember you said that? All right. So over the last couple of weeks, we've been in a series entitled Life with Ants. I know it's one of those that kind of just throws you for a moment and you're kind of like, wait, what are we talking about here? Ants? But what it's really about is the little lessons in life that we miss at the expense of pursuing the bigger things. And when it comes to success in life and the lessons of life, we tend to look at that which is grand, that which offers more experience. Uh, we, we seek and we look to those who are more accomplished um, in our own perception. But in this series, what we've learned is that God's approach to success and life places the emphasis on the little things. On the little things. And I'm going to tell you why that's important. Because little things are the substance of much in life. I'm going to say that again. Little things are the substance of much in life. You ever seen a real, real, real big building? Right? You go, oh my God, that's a huge building. Look how beautiful this building. Look how beautiful this house is. And it's great. Yeah, we can appreciate the outside, but many of us never stop to think about the importance of the nails holding it up. You desire a strong marriage, the marriage that you see in others. But we oftentimes fail to see the small day-to-day sacrifices that it takes to build it. Can I get an amen on that one? Some of you know what I'm talking about. You see people thriving in a relationship with God, wanting to partake of the promises that you see them enjoying. You want what they have with God, but do you see the discipline and the commitment that it takes on a day-to-day, moment-to-moment basis? Listen, because little things are the substance of much in life, God tells us to go and observe the ant. So the most unlikely place, turn with me once again over the last several weeks we've been looking at this. Uh, these verses. We're going to read it again in Proverbs chapter 6. Starting at verse 6, it says, Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. And so the sluggard is not necessarily someone who's slow about something. It's the person who's lazy towards the wisdom of God. And I believe that this can speak to each and every one of us because we've all been there. Maybe you're there or maybe you'll find yourself there at some point. But he says, Go to the ant, you sluggard, and consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, and yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. Listen, there are many lessons that the ant teaches us. And these lessons are intended to make us wise according to the ways of God. I strongly want to encourage you to go ahead and go back to our previous uh, uh, sermons in this series. Uh, You can find them on YouTube. Please go back and really dig into what we've been studying. 
Consider the scriptures. Go to the word. Seek wisdom from God. I guarantee you it will bless you. But getting back to the text that we were looking at, one of the lessons that the ant teaches us is that tomorrow is guaranteed. But listen closely. But it isn't free. I'm going to say that again. Tomorrow is guaranteed. Everyone has the potential to access the harvest according to the wisdom of God. Because the wisdom of God is available to all men. So the, 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 the harvest is guaranteed. Tomorrow is guaranteed. But the thing is that it isn't free. There's something that we have to do. Now, I'm not talking about earning anything from God. But I will tell you this, the scripture clearly states that we are to work out our own salvation. So you have everything that salvation affords you. It's within you, but you have to work it out. You have to work that muscle. You have to cooperate with the blessing of God. You have to seek after the things of God. And so today I'd like to talk to you about the cost of the call. The cost of the call. You see, the ant knows that the harvest is guaranteed, and as such, its life revolves around the promise of the harvest. It responds to the harvest by doing everything and centering all that it does, its mindset, its activity, everything for the purpose of the harvest that's promised. Now, when you think about cost, we tend to consider about the price we have to pay in order to obtain what we want, right, what we desire. But from the parable of the ant, and it is a parable, by the way, from the parable of the ant, we learn that what is most costly is not what we do to enjoy the benefits of the wisdom of God. What's most costly is what we don't do. Listen to the words of Jesus in Matthew 16, starting at verse 24. Jesus, speaking to his disciples, says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels. And then he will reward each person according to what they have done. And so I want you to see that Jesus tells us that there's something to being a disciple. It costs us something. It really does cost us something. Following Jesus will cost you something. Listen, to love God means that you will have to sacrifice something in your own marriage. You will. Because if you love your spouse more than God, there's a problem. Right? To love your career, to love your, your possessions more than God. Listen, in order to love God, there is a give and a take. It takes something in order to receive what God has given. Right? And so following Jesus will cost you something, but to not follow him will cost you everything. It will cost you everything. And see, we live in a day and age where we're all incurring costs for something. I'll prove it to you. Friendships come at an expense. Isn't that true? Friendships come at an expense. Personal satisfaction comes at an expense. Money comes at an expense. While we're here busy trying to earn money, we're paying a price for it. Time comes at an expense. 
There's a cost to it. Marriage, family, careers, regrets, joy, peace. All these things come at a cost. And for some of us, the cost to maintaining these things in our lives is expensive because it's costing us the life that God has made available to us through his kingdom. We're forsaking it. We're setting it aside. We're replacing God for something else. By the way, that's called idolatry. That's called idolatry, right? And so Jesus says that whoever wants to follow him must deny themselves and take up their cross. Now, I get it. That does not sound appealing. Can you imagine an introduction to someone that you want to get to know and they say, listen, if you want to be with me, you've got to deny yourself. As a matter of fact, you've got to pick up a cross while you're at it. Who wants to carry what was symbolic in that day and age of a sure death? Who wants to die to self? Can I tell you that that's easier said than done? Can I assure you that each and every one of us faces that daily? And so it's not very appealing, but this is not foreign to us if we really think about it. Because we can all understand it because we all know what it is to give something up for something that seems good, for something that seems greater. Right? And so, for example, I, I gave up friends for a wife. I gave up a prominent career making really, really, really good money for the prominence of ministry, and I'm not complaining. Listen, I gave up, I give up, we give up personal time, even family time for the service of others. And so you see, everything comes at a cost. And in verse 26, Jesus tells us about the greater cost to not following him. He says in verse 26, he characterizes it this way. He says that you'll lose your own soul. That word soul there is the Greek word psyche. And what it means is the breath of life. It's talking about a process of living fully in mind, in heart, and in strength. And so what I want you to see is that following Jesus doesn't just impact you in the realm of eternity. It's not just a spiritual impact. It impacts your quality of life now in your spirit, in your soul, in your body, in your heart where you believe, in your mind, in your thoughts, and in your strength that you depend upon. And so in the Bible, we have the account of a young man who came to Jesus. And the Bible tells us that this young man was a rich, young ruler. And he came to Jesus desiring to know how to access the kingdom of God. Unfortunately, the cost of maintaining his life as it was proved to be of greater worth than the cost of the life that Jesus offered him in the kingdom of God. Turn with me in Mark chapter 10, verse 17, and it says that Jesus started on his way. And a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. And good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. And your mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. I've been doing this all my life. 
And Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go, sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Go. Listen, I'm going to read it again. Go. Sell everything you have, give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. And Jesus looked around and said to the other to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now, it's important to understand what the Bible's talking about there when it talks about something rich. Because the word used there is not talking about material wealth. It's talking about something else. It's talking about that which we deem useful, right? Like status, right? You, you have to have some level of status to operate in this world. Some level of esteem or, or appreciation from people to respect you, to listen to you, maybe to follow you as a leader or whatever, right? There's, there's personal goals, right? I mean, who, who doesn't have goals, right? All these things are useful. They're necessary, right? There's your career, right, what you do for a living, right, or maybe what your living does for you. That's a whole nother sermon, <laughs> right? There's family, of course, right? Family's very important, right? There's recreation, right? How, who, what, how, how many of us don't need some little recreation here and there, something to let loose? It's, it's important. It's useful. There's people. We value people, right? There's, there's money, right? We, we need money. It's useful. It's necessary, right? And then there's what I'm going to classify as my stuff, right? Whatever that stuff is. It's all the extra stuff, the miscellaneous stuff, right? And so the Bible says that Jesus says how hard it is for the rich. In other words, for those who place a great emphasis on what they deem useful and necessary to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. We begin to see why they were amazed. But Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? You know why they said that? Because we all value something that's useful and necessary. Beginning to see this? And so Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. And then Peter spoke up, we've left everything to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mothers or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. And so listen, this young man was on the cusp of great things for his life. 
But he was on the cusp of greatness, not because of his possessions, not because of the doors that were open to him because of his riches. It wasn't because of the many friends that he most likely had. It wasn't because the status or the acclaim or the people or the family or the status or the stuff that he had. It had nothing to do with that. The reason why this young man was on the cusp of greatness for his life is because this young man was seeking the kingdom of God. He was seeking a way that was only made possible with God. And after realizing that all he had done, according to religion, wasn't enough, he asked an interesting question. He says, what else is there to do? What else should I be doing? Because I've done all this. And Jesus, the Bible says, responded to him in love. In love. Now, I want you to see something because I can guarantee you that this, this message right here speaks to the heart of each and every one of us. And if this message challenges you, I want you to consider something, that God loves you enough to point you to the truth. That's love. That's love. And so the Bible says that Jesus, he loved him. And he said to him, sell everything you have. Give to the poor. He didn't even tell him to give it all to the poor. He told him, give to the poor. Right? And he says, then come and follow me. And what we see is that Jesus is getting to the heart of this young man's, where he's at, his belief. The reason why Jesus told him to sell it and give it away and to give away the proceeds wasn't because the possessions were bad. It was because the possessions possessed him. And unfortunately, he was willing to, he was unwilling to let go of the riches at the expense of taking hold of that which was greater. But we have to wonder why. Why? Why was the stuff so necessary and useful, so important above God? Why was the money so useful Above God. Why would people and career and personal goals and recreation and status and family and you name it and fill in the blanks? Why? Why was it? Look, as I said before, Jesus was not alluding. He wasn't, he wasn't, he wasn't alluding to money when he spoke about how hard it is for a rich person to get into the kingdom of God. It wasn't because of that. And so to really understand this, we have to consider what happens. The disciples, the Bible says, after Jesus makes this statement, they're shocked. They're like, who then can enter the kingdom? Who then can take possession? Who then can, uh, who then can follow after you? Because after all, we're all, we all have something that we consider useful and necessary. The Bible says that they question, who then can be saved? And in verse 27, Jesus gets at the heart of this. What's going on here? Why was it so useful and necessary? In, Jesus, in verse 27, Jesus says, with man it is impossible. But with God all things are possible. And you got to really dig into that and study that to appreciate what Jesus is really saying here. Jesus draws a stark distinction between the ways of men and the ways of God when he makes this statement. 
That word, that term with man in the Greek is the Greek word anthropos. And what it means is the human mode of thought. It speaks of desires and human weaknesses. In other words, he's saying this. Listen, with men, apart from God, stuck with your own desires, only focusing on what you deem necessary and important, what you feel is, is, is most useful to you, if all you do is stay there, then of course it's going to be impossible because you're thinking according to the ways of men. He says, but with God, according to the mode of thinking of God, who, who by the way, his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts, right? That's what he says in the scriptures, right? So with God, it is possible See, if we get stuck on what's useful and necessary in place of God, while we feel full, the truth is we always end up empty. Because we want more. Because it's not enough. Because there's no peace in that. Now, we're going to get back to that in a second. We'll get back to that in a second. And so, you may not be rich with financial wealth, but like this man, you are rich with something. Hear what I'm saying. Could it be the usefulness and the necessity that draws you to money to such an extent that you replace God? Could it be what you do to feel a sense of purpose and belonging apart from God? Could it be what you do for personal enjoyment? Listen, I know people that are enjoying their motorcycles, and I wish I was there. My wife gave me a blank check one day. She says, pick the bike you want. This was a while back. This was actually right after I went down on my motorcycle. She was online. She says, which bike do you want? And at that moment, you know what I realized? It wasn't necessary. You know why it wasn't necessary? Because while I enjoy riding, man, I can do it all the time if I really choose to. And while I enjoy those times with the Lord on my motorcycle, you know what else I, I, I end up doing? I just end up zoning out. It's useful. At one time, I even deemed it necessary. Man, I was taking a motorcycle just to go to ShopRite down the road just because I wanted to be on it. Nothing wrong with that, but anyway, let's get back to the text. I could keep, don't get me started on motorcycles, but my point is this. Whatever that thing is, whatever that thing is that you deem useful and necessary at the expense of the usefulness and necessity of God in your life, that thing right there. You must not allow it to deceive you with the lure of the fullness that it appears to give you while leaving you empty. That makes sense? And so, for the next couple of moments that I have, I want to just simply invite you to take a closer look at the cost. What's the cost? I mean, listen, if you're like me, 
I have to understand not just what's the cost, but I have to also understand, is it worth the cost for me? Right? If you look at something, you assess, you see what the cost is, but you make your own assessment. Is this worth it for me? Am I willing to spend that? Am I willing to invest that? And so we have to understand what's the cost so that we can determine today if following the kingdom of God, if following Jesus is worth it to you. So, for the next couple of moments that I have here, I want to just give you three simple points. And the first one that I want to invite you to look at as a closer look to the cost is this. The cost is following Jesus. And let me, let, me, let me clarify what I'm saying there. The cost of the call upon your life and mine is not what we do to be right with God. It is not based on how much we change for God. The cost of the call of life in God's kingdom begins with who you and I will follow. Right? And that cost has to be rightly understood in order to choose to follow Christ. Listen to the words of Jesus in Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest. Watch this, for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I want you to notice that Jesus tells us that we're to come to him with our weariness and our burdens, those things that threaten to weigh us down in life. Isn't it true that the very thing that you deem necessary also involves weight? I want this big house. Great. Now you own it. Now you got to pay for it. Now you got to tend to it. Now you got to care for it. Now you got to fix it. See what I'm saying? So anyway, getting back to the text. Jesus says to us that we're to come to him with our weariness and our burdens. We all experiencing them all the time. But we're not supposed to leave them. We're not supposed to leave with them. Let me, let me, let me clarify that. So here's what it kind of looks like. Jesus, here's where I am in my heart. This is the reality of what I'm believing. This is what's weighing me down. This is, this is everything that I'm going through. This is how it's affecting me. Father, I'm afraid. Father, I'm struggling with this. But Lord, I thank you that your word tells me that your perfect peace that surpasses all understanding guards my mind and my heart. And so, Father, I will not be anxious. But I come to you asking you for a supply. Asking you to show me the way. Asking me to show me the details that are necessary for me to make the right decisions according to your wisdom. You just left it there, right? But then oftentimes what many of us do is this. We pick it back up. I'll prove it to you. When is this going to finally come through? How is this going to work? God, why aren't you answering me? How could he address something that you never left in his hands? Well, that was good, by the way. That really ministered to me. That really spoke to me. 
Listen, the danger to all this is that we miss the benefit of what it is to follow him. Remember, I told you there's a cost to following him. Jesus says, take my yoke, right? In other words, unyoke yourself from those things and yoke yourself to me. But here's the benefit. In verse 29, he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Learn from me. See, the moment that we begin to follow after those things that we deem important and necessary, those, those cares, those concerns, those, the, 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 the issues of life, when we begin to carry those things, what, what we end up doing is this. We cease the process of learning and growing with Jesus. See, following Jesus isn't about following him blindly. Following Jesus is an invitation to a learning process, to a renewal of the mind, of the heart. It's showing us a different way. It's exposing us to what the truth really is. It's teaching us something new, something that we should behold. It's a process of learning and growing. That's what following Jesus is all about. The Bible says that this process goes on until we mature to the full measure of the stature of the fullness of Jesus Christ himself. So here's what I'm saying. Here's what I'm getting at because we're talking about the cost. If we're not willing to learn and grow with Jesus, then what are we doing? You know, have you ever thought about what you actually mean when you say, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ? You ever really thought about that? What does that mean? Does that mean I go to church? Does that mean I listen to Christian music? Does that mean I pray every now and then? Does that mean I read my Bible? Or does that mean something more? Does that mean that you're in a process of commitment to growing and maturing, to learning, to discovering the truth, to being a vessel for the kingdom, to impacting the lives of others, to touching the world around you? So if you're going to take on the cost of following Jesus, realize that the cost is a willingness to learn from him and grow because of him. Can I tell you that none of these things teach you anything of eternal value. None of these things. They're empty. They're a shell. They do not contain the power of the kingdom. They're vehicles for the kingdom, but they're not what the kingdom's about. The second thing I want to leave you with here in the next couple of moments that I have here is this. It's that if you're going to count the cost, if you're going to incur the cost of the call to be a disciple, you have to understand that it's about exchanging me for us. Exchanging me for us. Now, let me tell you what I mean by that. For most of us, relationships are based on benefits. What do I get out of this? We approach friendships. We approach marriages. We approach work relationships. We look for compatibility even in, in the workplace. Do you fit my needs, what I'm looking for, what I want, 
what I desire, right? We look for what resembles our interests, our enjoyment, what, what we can get, what someone, what something adds to me. It's also how we approach life. Can we be honest with ourselves? Isn't it true that if we're not careful, life becomes about me at the center? Me. The next time you find yourself in an argument with someone, in a dispute, go back to the book of James and see what it says. It says, where do quarrels and fights arise up among you? Is it not because of your own selfish desires? See? We're always wanting something for me. So here's what I want you to consider. Because that's so, the cost of following Jesus is, dis- is it's difficult for most people. Because we have to exchange me for us. And if we really want to be clear about this, not even about me, it's about you. And only you. So Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 11, we see the words of Paul, and he says, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage. You know what the original language is for that word garbage? It's the word dung. It's animal manure. So listen to what he says. I consider them dung, garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining the resurrection from the dead. This is Paul, a man of great accomplishments. This is Paul, a man who prior to Christ was in the elite class of the Pharisees. This is Paul, the guy who studied under one of the most respected rabbis of his day, a guy named Gamaliel. This is Paul who had authority over men given to him by the high leadership of, 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 the, of the Jewish high class. This is Paul who took pride in his vast knowledge of the law and the fact that he obeyed it to the T. And yet, and this is also Paul who for many years now at the writing in Philippians was a man who had followed Christ, who'd seen great miracles who preached to much of the known world in his day. And Paul says this. He says, all these things that made up this prestigious life of mine, I count it all loss. The acceptance of people, the financial support, the possessions, the acclaim of the journey. All these things, he says, none of it. It's, it's, all, it's all garbage. It's nothing. But watch why. 
Paul says that he discovered that there is a surpassing worth in knowing Christ Jesus. And if you look at the text, what you'll see is that there's more to it than just knowing Jesus. It gives us two tenses there when it talks about knowing Christ. Paul talks about everything that he's known about Christ, but then he also refers to the process of continuing to grow in knowing Christ. Listen, this guy knew so much. He had so much revelation of Christ, and yet he says, man, I counted all loss because I still have more to know. I still have more to grow. I still have more to experience. I still have more to discover. Listen, if you are that person that says, I've been doing this for 40 years. You're just getting started. Well, Paul saw more value in life with Jesus than life for himself. Listen, Paul said, it's not about me. It's about us. And really it's about you. And look what that's doing for us in this relationship. See, in exchanging me for us is where we discover the power of his resurrection, is what Paul says. It's where we discover in this exchange of me for you. And as it's me and you, it becomes us and we become one. And I begin to grow and I begin to know some new things. And in this exchange is where we discover the power to get back up when we fall short. It's where we discover the power to live with confidence. It's, it's where we discover the experience of his great blessings. It's where we discover peace and joy, stability. It's where we grow mature in our own self-worth and we appreciate who we are in Christ. And we no longer compare ourselves to others. The last point I want to leave you with here today is this. That if we're going to look at the cost to following Christ, that cost entails making room today for what God has in store for you tomorrow. Listen closely to what I'm saying. After his encounter with the rich young ruler, the Bible says that the disciples said, who then? Who then can be saved? Who then can be made right with God? Who then can follow you? Because, man, I, I love my family. I love the people in my life. You know, like, I, they're useful to me, and I, I need them, and, 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 you know, I need money to, to make it. You know, it's useful. I need it. And, and this career of mine, you know, I'm, you don't know how far I've come and how many times I've been promoted and, and, and how I'm kind of like a leader now in my own field. And, and you, you know, you can't just, you know, what about my recreation? What about my own personal time? What about my dying time? I need a break too. And what about my personal goals and, and the status and my stuff and all these things? And the Bible says, Peter says, Jesus, we've left everything to follow you. We've left everything. We've left everything. 
And Jesus teaches them and us something crucial about this cost. That the one that incurs the greatest cost here is not you and I. It's God. These guys are going, man, you know, you look at these cups, they, they look pretty empty, right? What would you say they are? Would you say they're empty? Let me tell you what God says about what you see in these cups. He says this, truly I tell you, in Mark chapter 10, verses 29 through 31, we're going to read it again. Truly I tell you, no one who has left home or brothers or sister or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. He'll receive homes and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and fields along with persecutions because that's a part of life. And in the age to come, eternal life. You know what Jesus is saying? That when you begin to clear out all this stuff and you think, I have nothing, what you have is room for everything. To overflowing, to overflowing, to overflowing, to overflowing. Man, God has so much more in store for you. Listen, make room today because tomorrow is bright for you. But the call says, man, I got to give up some stuff. I got to let go of some things that I deem useful. And in doing so, the great return is this, that not only do you receive that, but you receive it the way God intended it. You may, have, you may be on the tail end of a wrecked marriage, but we serve a God who is a restorer and a redeemer who calls dead things back to life. Make room for God in your marriage. Begin to prioritize his ways and your approach to your spouse, to your children, to your career. Begin to make room for the kingdom of God. I know it costs something, but he paid for everything, and it's yours to receive in greater measure. Amen? Let's stand here today. Father, we come to you in the precious and mighty name of Jesus. Lord, we do thank you for your word, which is truth. And today, Lord, you've spoken to us in relation to the example you give us from the end. And you teach us, Lord, that while the ant is diligent, while the ant works hard, the ant is functioning according to the wisdom of God. And thus it reaps a great reward. It understands the cost, but it costs nothing to it because the benefit is worth it. Father, today we humble ourselves before you with open hearts, with the eyes and hearts set upon you. We say, Lord, we prioritize you. We love you above all. There's no expense that we can put greater value on than you. Lord, you are worth it. You are worthy. And today we worship you. We worship you.
hey, if, if, if you've been putting more emphasis on what you've deemed useful and necessary than on God, don't condemn yourself. Right here, right now is the place to turn around and to just simply begin to prioritize God above all. Right now, just make room for him. Clear it all out. Because God's promises that he will fill you to overflowing. It's very possible that there's someone here today, or maybe you're joining us online, and today as you're hearing this message, you're realizing that you've been paying a heavy price in life. And it hasn't paid off. It hasn't given you what you thought you would reap. Today God says to you, follow me. It's worth it. Yeah, you're going to give up some things. Yeah, you're going to let go of some things. Yeah, you're going to prioritize me above some things. But today, follow me. If you feel, if you sense God knocking on your heart, if you believe that God is speaking to you today, then pray this with us. It's a prayer of belief. It's a prayer of faith. It's a prayer that acknowledges what God paid for you and I. God saw the entirety of man, and he saw that we were all deficient of the ability to be made right with him. It's called sin. See, sin isn't the things we do. Sin is something we became at the very beginning when Adam and Eve fell. But God is so good that he loved you and I that he came in the very form of a man, just like you and me. And he paid the price, thereby removing the debt and opening a path to restoration with him and restoration for your life. If you believe that today, pray this with us. Say, Jesus, I believe you are the way, you are the truth, you are the life. I believe you died for me and that you rose again. And this day I declare you my Lord and Savior. I confess you as my God. From this day forward, I'm trusting you. I'm following you. And I thank you for a great result. Come on, if you prayed that now, we're celebrating in here and online. The lives of people transformed. Thank you, Father, for all you've done. Now, Father, as we leave here, we celebrate all that you've done in Jesus Christ and the truth in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great weekend. We'll see you again next Sunday. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today. I pray that today's message met you right where you are and that God spoke to you powerfully. If you're interested in staying up to date with previous sermons, new content as we go live, or just being up to date with anything and everything that we're doing, please take the moment to subscribe to our YouTube page. Please make sure also to turn on your notification setting on the YouTube channel so that that way you get notified whenever we're going live. Lastly, I just want to thank you for your partnership and I want to ask you to continue in partnership with us with your giving by giving at our website at ctbny.com backslash give or through our Church at the Bridge app. God bless and can't wait to see you again.